I want to encourage you to pull out your Bible today. I know this is Pentecost Sunday, and I pray that I will preach a Pentecostal message about being strong. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Because the time is near. I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe that there's going to come a time when Jesus Christ is going to break the skies open. He's going to sound the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise and we that remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And I also believe in the great tribulation where this world is going to see tribulation like it's never seen before where God's going to pour out his wrath upon this world because of the sins. And you know what? I used to think, God, wow, you're really going to pour out wrath. Do we really deserve it? And man, I tell you what, as I'm thinking, as I'm seeing all the things that are happening all around us, I can see why God is getting really angry, why he's really getting ticked off. I mean, I, I, I hear the news reports of little girls that are being sold into sex slavery, and, I, and now I understand why God's really getting ticked off. And I, I believe that God is a consuming fire, and I believe that God's a righteous judge, and I believe one day he's going to judge the world for all of the sin of the world, and I believe it's coming. The time is near. And I believe that at the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come back with his angels and with his armies, and he's going to deal with the enemy one last time, as the word of the Lord is, says, and then he's going to, he's going to have a, a thousand-year a reign, a millennial reign, and then, yes, the Bible says that the enemy is going to come out once again, and, but at that point, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to throw him into the bottomless pit, and everyone's name who's not written in the Lamb's book of life will, will join him. I believe that with all my heart. I believe in the infallibility of the Scripture. I believe it's inerrant. I believe it is the Word of God. I believe in every word that is found in the Word of God. I believe it's true. I live by it, and I'm willing to die by it. And I want to talk to you about being strong today, and I want to start a new series entitled Strong, Strong, Being Strong and Courageous, Being Strong in Tough Times That Are Coming. And John is writing this on the island of Patmos, and as he's writing this, he's actually receiving more and more revelation from the Lord. And the Bible says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what soon must come. And in the book of Revelation, God reveals, he pulls back the prophetic curtain. God opens up to John the apostle a picture of the future. He gives him a revelation, and it says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want you to know that as we go through difficult times in our life, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. We need to keep our eyes steadfast upon Jesus because the Bible says if you keep your eyes on the Lord, he'll keep you in perfect peace. He'll be your rock in any situation in your life, and you will not be shaken if you keep your eyes on Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. 
And it's really a revelation of what's going to happen. It's also a revelation of the victory that we find in Jesus Christ. And these revelations that John sees, he writes these, these things down to seven churches. The church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamum, the church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis, the church of Philadelphia, and the church of Laodicea. And before John really opens up the book of Revelation and, and uncovers the mysteries of the future, Jesus personally gives John a solemn warning, and he gives a solemn warning to every one of the churches, those seven churches. He wants to encourage them, but he also rebukes them. And he tells them that there's going to be something that's going to happen in each one of those churches. Now, some theologians believe that those churches are symbolic of the times, and that each each and every season or each and every period of the church, one of those churches are represented in that period of time. Now, I happen to believe that John is writing to the churches and each and every church applies to the church today and applies to our life personally. Somebody help me out and say amen. But I also believe that some of the churches are a vivid picture of what we're going through today, right now in the church, right at this moment. And to, each, and to each one of these churches, John encourages them, he strengthens them, but he also warns them and he tells them to be ready because the time is near. Verse 3, he says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it because the time is near. And to each one of these churches, he gives a promise. But the promise is conditional. The promise only comes to those who overcome. That's the word. The key word in all of these churches is to him who overcomes, I will grant him a promise. To he who is strong and courageous and overcomes, this is what they can look forward to. In fact, Jesus tells each church, I know that you're going through a very difficult time. Or get ready because you're going to go through a very difficult time in your life. And John the Apostle, he says, I, John, your brother, a companion in your suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos. John says, hey, I'm going through it with you. And if you're going to be a Christian, listen to me, if you're really going to love the Lord, if you're going to be on fire, and you're not going to be lukewarm, and you're not going to fall away, then you are going to have to have great patience and endurance in your life because you're going to suffer for the gospel. John says some of you are going to go through persecution. John says to some of them that you're going to have to deal with false prophets and false doctrines in your churches. Some of you are going to be put in prison. Some of you are going to tolerate sin, and as a result of that, it's going to mess up your church. Some of you are even going to think that you're okay, but you're really spiritually dead. You're going to look alive on the outside, but you're going to be dead on the inside. Some of you are going to um, tolerate false teachers and prophets, and some of you are going to look like you're hard workers, but you're going to lose your first love. And Jesus tells them, if you overcome, if you stay faithful, if you persevere, if you stay strong until the end, I will reward you. Eye is not seen, nor ear is heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man what God is preparing for those who faithfully persevere and love him with all their heart. Amen. To the church of Ephesus, Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I will give you the right to eat 
from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. To the church of Smyrna, Jesus says, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He said if you're an overcomer, you won't be hurt by the second death. To the church at Pergamum, Jesus tells them, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden matter, and I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to those people that receive that stone. To the church at Thyatira, Jesus encourages them. Notice what he says in Revelations 2.26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. To the church at Sardis, Jesus says, He who overcomes will be like them, will be dressed in white. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Notice that the name can be blotted out. To the church at Philadelphia, Jesus says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. He said, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on it his new name to the church at Laodicea. Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I have overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, if you go through that and you really read that, you will see to those that overcome, God is going to richly reward us. He's going to give us a new name. He's going to give us white robes. Now, I'm not, you know, I don't think it's really, uh, really, really um, literal that he's going to give us white robes. He's going to walk around with white robes. I believe that white robes symbolize the purity and the holiness of God, that we will Radiantly, uh, we will radiantly love God and we will reflect the glory of God when God does a new thing on this earth and in this heaven. And that the Bible says that we will sit on thrones with God. That we will sit on the thrones as he said, he that overcomes, I will grant him a throne as I sit on the throne. Listen, folks, we have some really good things to look forward to when we get to heaven. Come on, somebody. We've got some incredible things to look forward through, but we've got to go through tribulation to get there I know that many of you you really are hoping that you know you're just going to coast into heaven and you're never going to be persecuted and you're never going to go through fiery trials in your life and you're never going to have to persevere and you're never going to have to be really strong because it's going to be easy street all the way to heaven but that's not what the word of God says these churches represent the church of Jesus Christ throughout the entire history of the church in different ways. But each church was told, you will face great opposition. You will be tempted to cave into the pressure all around you. And most of you, you will need to be strong because you will go through the fires of testing. You see, I'm deeply convinced that all through history, different societies would embrace Christianity for a season only to later reject it because the society allowed itself to be surrounded with cultures 
that were idolatrous or cultures that were really anti-God. And as a result of that, little by little, that culture took over and, caved and caused the church to cave in. First, they would water down Christianity. First, they were on fire. But then somehow, because of persecution, they would water down the message. They would water down the word of God. And they would water down Christianity. Then they would redefine Christianity. Then they would remove Christianity. And then they would persecute those who stood strong and stood loyal to the word of God. And friends, I want you to know that we're here. That's where we are today in America. You see, true Christianity calls for radical repentance. True Christianity calls for radical living. True Christianity demands death to ourselves. That we just don't put on a new religion. That, that it's not about you're going to be prosperous and you're never going to go through a trial in your life and God's going to grant you everything you want in your life. Come to Jesus because he's the heavenly Santa Claus and all you have to do when you come to Jesus is give your heart to Jesus and you're going to be living on easy street. True Christianity calls for full surrender to God. True Christianity demands that we love God with all of our heart for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And even if we have to die for our faith, true Christianity calls that we will be faithful to God until the end. And the truth is many societies have embraced Christianity for centuries only to abandon true Christianity in years to follow because of persecution. I think of the Christians in Rome. You know, in the beginning, they were really persecuted. And then Constantine, one of the emperors, embraced Christianity. And most people really believe that he didn't embrace it for the right reason, but it was just a political maneuvering so that he could somehow win the favor of a group of people. And he embraced Christianity for a season. And, 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 and over the years, he, he, uh, he actually commanded and demanded that all of his soldiers would be baptized in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can find over through the centuries that Christianity became watered down to the point that we entered into a dark age where you couldn't really find visibly a church that was truly committed and loyal to the scriptures. And in so many ways, the scriptures were twisted and defiled. And in so many ways, the scriptures were abused so that the, the church, the, this empirical church, this church that was once supposed to be a church, a beacon of hope and light, a beacon of grace and, and faith, and that people would come to know Christ through faith, now is a church that is moving towards a, 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 a hierarchical, monarchical uh, system whereby they are forcing people to do things that, that they should not force them to do. And I believe that men's hearts will grow cold and increasingly indifferent to the gospel in this country. So it started in Rome, and now we can see in Europe that Europe is a post-Christian uh, 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 countries and, and a post-Christian region. All over Europe today, there are atheists, and, and Islam is moving in and invading Europe today. And, 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 and the truth of the matter is, is if you go on the streets of Europe, they will put you in jail in many places for preaching the gospel. Europe has turned its back on God. So much of the wonderful things that we have gotten in the church today came from Europe. But today, Europe has totally turned its back on God.
And yes, there is a form of religion in Europe, but they deny what it's called the power of God in their churches. And I believe America was founded on God's word 200 plus years ago. America was founded on a group of people who came that were fleeing from religious dominance and persecution and came here because they wanted to love God, they wanted to serve God, and yes, they were willing to give people the right to serve God in whatever way they felt that they should serve God. But this country was founded on God. There's enough documentation, there's enough uh, understanding through history to understand that this country was founded on God. Our leaders believed in God, our leaders, many of them prayed to God our leaders fearlessly uh, held up the Word of God in fact when you go to the courts you will see in many of the courts that they'll hold up the Bible why because it started at the very beginning of our country that we believed that God was the answer for our country he would sustain us he was our rock and God's Word was the foundation in which we built our lives come on somebody help me out but I believe that men's hearts will grow cold and increasingly indifferent to the gospel and become more and more sinful in the last days. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. Friend, I want you to know that preachers should not preach to itching ears. They should preach to burning hearts. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Wow. Today we have all kinds of false teachers who are preaching to itch ears of people, telling them what they want to hear instead of telling them what they need to hear. Friends, I want you to know, Hard times are coming. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. When Paul the Apostle said there's going to come a time when there's a, a group of people who are religious but deny its power, I believe that today we can see all over our country, even all over the world today, that so many people go to church on Sunday morning and they go to church to make themselves feel good for an hour, but they deny the power of the Holy Spirit. They deny the power of holiness. They deny the power of righteousness. They deny the, the fact that they are a sinner and they need to be born again and they need the power of the Holy Spirit to come into their life because they can't live this life without the power of God in their life. And on this Pentecost Sunday, I want to encourage you to know that there's only one way that you're going to ever overcome. You've got to be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit you've got to be filled with fire from the inside because it's not by might it's not by power but it's by the Holy Spirit says the Lord come on somebody say amen 
See, these things that we're seeing today are both repulsive and they are sinful on so many levels. Babies are being slaughtered at conception. And they're not only slaughtering babies at 10 weeks and, 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 and they're not only slaughtering babies at six months. And let me tell you, slaughter a baby at the moment of conception, that's sin because the Bible says they're a baby. And what we need to do is we need to show some more sonograms of children that are 10 weeks old. And Planned Parenthood wants uh, to actually to, to ban that because they don't want people to see that that's a human being because if they see that it's a human being, they might change their mind and not slaughter the baby. But today we're not only slaughtering babies at 10 weeks and 6 months and, and 9 months in the womb, but now when they come out of the womb, we're killing them. My God, the Bible talks about innocent blood, shedding innocent blood, and the judgment that will come upon a nation for shedding innocent blood. People are brutal today in every way. I mean, I tell you what, you just turn on the TV and you see the things that are on TV today. There is a lust for brutality today. Movies are, are, are getting more and more graphic and more and more realistic. Games are becoming more graphic and realistic because we have a thirst for blood in this country. We have a thirst for violence in this country. You go to a hockey game and everybody's quiet until a fight breaks out and then all of a sudden everybody's happy because they want to see blood. And so many people have a form of godliness but they really deny the power of God in their lives. And they don't really simply believe in the truth of God's word and his holiness. I believe that persecution is coming to America. And Christians like never before are going to see persecution in America. Persecution against Christians in America is in a rapid pace of increase in all places, in the workplace. Just yesterday I heard as I was teaching the, the 101 class, uh, a woman was telling me that, uh, that her boss, who is an atheist, told her that she can't have her Bible. She can't read her Bible at work and that she can't talk about Jesus at work. Another lady came over to me uh, last Wednesday night and she said to me, Pastor Steve, my son is in a class. He's about 12 or 13 years old. And the teacher said, write about a historical figure and so he decided to write about Jesus and the teacher read it right in front of him and gave him a big fat F right in front of the whole class and said this is a myth students are not allowed to go to their school wearing a t-shirt that says God on it they will make the student go and change their t-shirt just because it says God on the t-shirt come on somebody not only at school, not only in the workplaces, but in the colleges, Christians are mocked and they are ridiculed daily for their faith. And at one time, many of these universities and these colleges were founded on God. Harvard, Yale, or many other universities were started. They began because Christian men and women wanted to train men and women in, in, the, in the morality and character and integrity of God's word and train them for marketplace and full-time ministry. And today, these are the same schools that criticize and mock our children that are going there because they believe in God. Someone once said it's dramatic. The dramatic recent hike in reported incidents of persecution is dramatic today in America. 
The founder, Kelly Shackford, once said of the Liberty Universe, I have been doing these types of cases for almost 25 years now, and I have never seen the level of attacks like these and how quickly they are now proliferating all over our country. A federal judge threatened incarceration to a high school valedictorian unless she removed references to Jesus from her graduation speech. City officials prohibited senior citizens from praying over their meals, listening to religious messages, or singing gospel songs at their senior activity centers. A public school official physically lifted an elementary student from his seat and reprimanded him in front of his classmates for praying over his lunch. Following U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs policies, a federal government official sought to censor a pastor's prayer, eliminating references to Jesus during a Memorial Day ceremony honoring veterans at a national cemetery. Public school officials prohibited students from handing out gifts because they contained religious messages. Public school officials prevented students from handing out flyers, inviting classmates to an event at their church. The U.S. Department of Justice argued before the Supreme Court that the federal government can tell churches and synagogues which pastors and rabbis they can hire and which pastors and rabbis they can fire. And there will come a day, trust me, when the pastor will be threatened with imprisonment because he preaches the whole entire gospel and the word of the Lord and he stands against and oppose anything that is outside of what the government proposes to be a family and defines it as a family, he will be threatened with imprisonment. They're already doing it in Canada. I also believe that God is going to really shake things up because the church needs to be awakened in America and it needs to turn back to God. Hebrews 12, 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he promises us once more, I will shake not only the earth, but I will also shake the heavens. The words once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things so that what cannot be shaking will remain. Listen to me. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just here as your pastor because I really love you. And I just can't shake this. I just can't shake it. And I told you that I'd promise you that I would preach the full gospel and I wouldn't hold back. I'm telling you that God is about to shake our country. He's about to shake the nations. And he's going to shake it so that whatever can stay, can stand, will stand. And that which will fall away will fall away. There's going to be a shaking in the church. There's going to be a removal. And the Bible says that many will walk away from the church just to prove that they were really not really Christians in the first place because their faith was not based on true repentance, true holiness, and true understanding of the grace and mercy of God. They were playing church. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. God, he consumes with fire of holiness. And he wants us to walk in his righteousness and his grace. Now listen to me. Even though he's a consuming fire, 
He loves us with an everlasting love. He sent his son into this world that we might be saved from this wicked generation. As Peter declared to the people on the day of Pentecost, save yourself from this wicked generation. Turn and repent so that times of refreshing will come. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ must turn and repent. I believe that we must fall flat on our face and say, God, forgive us for being asleep in the light, for walking in, in liberties that we should not and walking in compromise that we should not be walking in so that we might truly be the light of the world. And even if persecution comes, we will stand firm and stand ready to be loyal to God. Because the Bible says if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? God wants to renew America's faith. But listen to me. He has no choice but to bring loving correction and discipline to this country. If he does not do that, he must apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. If he does not do that, he must apologize for all of the cities that he brought judgment upon in the past. And when it comes to many Christians, they will walk away from the faith, but only those who stand firm and endure till the end shall be saved. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith, giving heed to preachers that preach things they want to hear. And Jesus says to the church, Jesus says to you and I today, only those who overcome endure till the end will be saved. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you really strong enough? I ask myself that question. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. It's easy to preach the gospel. It's easy to get up here, prepare a sermon, and preach it to you. I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord, search me, O God. Examine my own heart, God. Hallelujah. Lord, will I stand? Will I stand? Am I strong enough? Are you strong enough to go through trying times in your life? Listen to me. God told me to tell you that hard times are coming and you must get yourself ready and be strong enough to endure or you will fall away. Now, I know that we're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man boast. And I know that we're sealed, as the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit. But that's only promised to those who are true believers. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart, this is the seed sown along the path. This is the person who's not a Christian, a believer at all. But notice this. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, since he has no foundation, God has shown me in the last couple of years that I need to pour my life into new believers, people that come into the church. I'm like bookend, new believers and leaders. And everyone else ought to be in small groups. They ought to be encouraging one another. If you're a Christian, you've been in the church long enough, then you need to encourage other Christians. You need to be out there in a small group, leading a group or being a part of it. But you know what? God told me I'm a bookend. And I do everything I can to give new believers a good foundation because I know if they don't have that foundation, their root doesn't go deep into the ground. When trials come, when persecution come, they're going to fall away. 
So I want to prepare them, get them strong so that they can know that when hard times come, they're going to know the Word of God. They're going to be strong. They're going to be filled with the Spirit. The last two classes in the Foundations class, we talk about who is the Holy Spirit. We pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why I don't need to, on Pentecost Sunday, speak about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we do it all the time. Not just once a year, but all the time. Because that's a core value of our church. We believe it's not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord. It says, He only lasts for a short time. When trouble, listen, or persecution comes because of the word. Here it is. Persecution comes because of the word. Because you're faithful to the word. Because you won't back down. Because you know that the word of God is true. And everyone else is a liar. And the word of God is true. And therefore you will stand on the word of God. Because persecution comes. Because this is, you believe that the word of God is the infallible word of God. You're not going to twist it. You're not going to compromise it. You're not going to neglect it. But you're going to live by it no matter what the word of God says. He quickly, the Bible says, falls away because of persecution. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. In other words, there will be people in the church who will receive the word and then fall away. They will stay for a short time, but when trials come, they won't make it. They'll stay for a short time, but when persecution comes, they'll run away. They'll stay in the church for a short time, but when the worries of life come, they'll buckle under pressure. The deceitfulness of riches will entice them and they will cave in in their faith. And the result will be that they will shipwreck their faith and lose their very soul. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet he loses his soul? So this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is telling me to tell you that you need to be strong in four areas of your life. Let me give them to you really quick. Number one, you must be really strong in your core convictions. Let me say that again. I want you to write this down somewhere in your Bible. I must be strong in my core convictions. You see, strong convictions precede great actions. Someone once said, never for the sake of peace and, and quiet do you deny your convictions. Listen to me. Your core convictions are the things in life that, that are never up for sale. They are the things that are non-negotiable. They are the beliefs that shape your entire life. They are the things that create courage and strength when you're being tested in the fire. Your core convictions are the pure gold of your life. They are the very heart and center of your life. When persecution comes, you don't cave in because you know that this is the word of God. You know this is not only the word of God, but this is the word of God that's been engrafted into your soul and into your heart. This is my core conviction to the very core of my being. This is what I believe and this is what I live for. Your core convictions shape everything about your life. They are the standards, the principles, and the values that inform everything that you do and the way that you operate as a person. Without core convictions, you set yourself up for failure and you set yourself up to fall because you have no bedrock foundation of beliefs that you can point to and say, this is why I do what I do. And if what you really believe is never settled in your heart, if what you really determine to be a core conviction is never decided, you will fall when pressure comes. 
Alexander Hamilton once said, if you don't stand for something, you will always fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you will always fall for anything. I love what David Icke said, today's mighty oak is just yesterday's nut that held its ground. I want to be yesterday's nut that held its ground. Because I want to be a mighty oak so that when tribulation and trials come, I'll be a strong oak planted by the rivers and the streams of water, being watered every day of my life, being fruitful till the day that I die. Second Peter chapter 3 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Paul the Apostle tells us that we should examine ourselves and determine whether we really believe. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Examine yourself to see whether you are really in the faith. Test yourselves. In fact, did you ever really ask yourself, what are, what are my core convictions? Did you ever write them down? I, I have written down my core convictions. These are the things that, to the core, I believe with all my heart and I will live for and I will die for. Did you ever consider how they affect your everyday life? Did you ever consider how your life would change if your core convictions were challenged and you were persecuted for those convictions? What if you were threatened with bodily harm? What would you do? Would you abandon your core convictions? Did you ever consider how your life would change if these core convictions were deeply rooted in your life? If you truly believed in these values, these core convictions, did you ever consider how your, your life should shift and change because of these core convictions that you say that you believe in? What do you really believe about God? What do you really believe about God? Because America is wanting to change your definition of what you believe about God. America is wanting to challenge what you believe about God. Is there only one way to God? Or are, they, are there many ways to God? Oh, friend, you could say, I believe that Jesus is the answer and he's the only way, but what if you get persecuted for that? Will you cave in and start to think, well, maybe there are other ways to get to God? Is the Bible really God's infallible word? Or is it a compilation of, of men who wrote, wrote some good things but not God's very word? Do you really believe in the sanctity of human life? Does life really begin at conception, at birth? Does everyone have the right to live or just babies who are wanted? You see, until you identify your core convictions, until you resolve in your heart that these are the things that are important to you because they're rooted in something even bigger than yourself, when you're challenged, when you're tested, when you're persecuted for them, you will abandon your faith for the sake of convenience, for the sake of luxury, for the sake of money, for the sake of financial security. When I was a little kid, we were taught what was called values clarification. Do you remember that? Whereby we were basically taught that if there was a boat and there were people in the boat and they were out at sea and they were going to die and food was running out, you would have to figure out who goes over first. 
And friends, I want you to know today that that's exactly what our country is trying to help us to see, that we can kind of determine now who gets to live and who doesn't get to live, who gets to survive and who doesn't get to survive based on values clarification. Number two, I believe God wants you to be strong in his word. See, Matthew chapter 7 says, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Now, so many people believe that the rock is Jesus Christ, but it's really not, not in that context. The rock is God's word. Because he says, this is the wise man who heard the word and put it into practice. He's the one when the storms came and when the rain beat against the house, he stood the test of time, persecution, and of problems in his life because his, his life was grounded on God's word. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rolled, the wind, winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its, listen to me, because its foundation was on the rock. You will stand. You will make it through this time. You will, by his grace and power, endure till the end when your life is rooted on God's word. Second Peter 3.17 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you might not be carried away by error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow, listen to me, in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said, how will you keep yourself from falling from your secure position? By growing in God's word. Listen to me. Let me just be really honest with you. There are some Christians that have been in the church and they can't even find the book of Jonah. And they think Hezekiah is a book in the Bible. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. They don't know how to read the word. They don't know how to use the word. And the Bible says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for you so that you might be strong, holy, mature, and complete. As a Christian. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has given pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists to equip the people, the saints of God, to do the work of service so that you will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes your way. Friend, I'm, I'm just going to be as blunt as I can. If you don't learn God's word, if you don't read God's word, if you don't memorize God's word, if you don't live by God's word, if you don't, if you don't saturate yourself with God's word, you will not make it when persecution comes. You will fall away. You will deny your faith because your faith is not grounded in knowledge. And knowledge is power. You will be deceived a, a fast-talking pastor who wants to just gain a following will deceive you. He will throw in some of the word and a whole lot of error, and you will fall away from your secure position in Christ because your life has not been grounded 
in the Word of God. Don't give me any excuses why you don't read the Bible. Don't tell me you're too busy. Don't tell me that you don't have time. Don't tell me you don't understand it. My grandmother was never taught how to read. She was illiterate, but she read the Bible every day of her life. Her life was grounded on the Word of God. Friend, you have no other choice. You must read the Word of God. It's not an option in your life. It's a matter of life and death for you. You must read the Word of God. Number three, you must be strong in godly relationships. If you are going to make it in these last days, you must be strong in godly relationships. I know you say you don't have time for small groups, and I know you say that you don't have time for fellowship. But let me tell you something. Your non-Christian friends will not stand with you when persecution comes. Your non-Christian friends will not stand with you, but they will, they will actually separate from you when persecution comes because of the Word of God. I'm telling you, it's getting very narrow. The circle of true Christians, the remnant of God, is getting smaller and smaller, and you better be in a group of people. You better develop relationships with a group of people that are truly Christians who love God, who bear fruit, who are in the Word, who are solid and mature, because when hard times come, they're going to become your family. They're going to become the people that will hold you up and pray for you because of it. And lastly, I want to tell you that if you're going to make it, you must strengthen your walk with God through prayer and intimacy with the Father. Friend, if you don't know him, when persecution comes, you will deny him. The only reason why Christians were loyal to the end is because they knew their God. They knew God. They didn't know about God. They walked with God. They talked with God. They knew God. Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, I know your works, and I know that you're busy in the church. And I know that you don't even tolerate false prophets. But this one thing I have against you, you have forsaken your first love. He said, return back to your first love, lest I come and take from you your candlestick. And friend, God is calling us back to a first love, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I close with this as the worship team comes today. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. But if you don't abide in me, then you will be cut off and thrown into the fire for every branch that bears no fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you today that you would have mercy on us. Oh God, thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. Oh God, thank you that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace. Thank you, Father, that we're not saved by works, 
but we're saved through faith. Thank you also, God, that you have given us the armor of God and you have equipped us with your word and you have commanded us and you have told us that we must remain in you, that if we abide in you and your word abides in us, then we will not fail. That your word says if we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we will not fail. The person perseverance of the saint God the endurance of the saints of God only comes as we continue in the faith as we abide in him with all of our hearts oh God make us strong God bring us back Lord bring us back bring us back to our first love today I'm gonna call you to the altar and whatever hit you like a hammer and I'm telling you I know this word hit you like a hammer today I want you to take it to the foot of the cross and I want you to say Jesus do a new work in my life restore the joy of my salvation and give me my first love I want you to get out of your seat right now quickly and come to this altar and kneel before the Lord and say God restore unto me the joy of my first salvation and my first love come quickly come quickly and just kneel before the Lord today I'm not this is not like I'm gonna ask you a hundred times God quickened your heart today you just come and say God make me a radical believer make me a radical follower of Christ Lord give me a love for you and a love for your word God cause me to walk in your faithfulness and your goodness God and God, if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you, take it out of my life, God. Cut it out, God. Because I want to abide in the vine. I want to abide in the vine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to your name. Glory to your name every church and every generation in every place there will be a remnant of people who are steadfast strong immovable in love with God that shall be the generation that shall endure till the end let it be said let it be known let it be prophesied hallelujah Jesus I'm gonna I'm finished morning and I'm just going to take my place at the altar and pray and seek the face of God when you're ready to go home a wise preacher told me one time don't try too hard as a pastor to get people to respond let the word do the work today I'm going to let the word do the work I'm going to let it go deep into your heart and I'm going to pray that God makes it real in your God bless you.